the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Justin Mansfield is producing and engineering today's program, and we're glad to have you with us. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Diane Schnickels, founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. We're going to talk about the Oasis Bible Study. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. And we're also going to share a piece that was shared by Paul Harvey back in 1964, If I Were the Devil. Give you something to think about. Anyway, that's coming up in the second. And by the way, I'm not. I just want to clarify that. I know some of you might think, well, that proves that. Uh, no, I'm actually not. A federal jury in New York City reached a decision on Tuesday in the civil trial of um, advice columnist E. Jean Carroll versus former President Donald Trump. The jury decided that Trump was not liable for rape, but was liable for sexual abuse and defamation. The jury awarded Carroll $5 million. The six men and three women on the jury began deliberating on Tuesday morning on the ninth day of the civil trial, which took place in Manhattan federal court. The former president chose not to attend the civil trial and was absent when the verdict was read. The 79 year old to accuse the former president, she alleged that Trump raped her at a, a Bergdorf Goodman department store across the street from Trump Tower in Manhattan sometime in 1996. She wasn't sure of the precise day or week or month. According to Carol, the two had a chance uh, run in at the store where Trump was shopping for a gift for a girl. That's in quotes. She said he asked her for advice and the two shopped together before the event she alleges took place. Trump and his legal team insist that Carol's allegations are fabricated with the former president's initial reaction, including an accusation that she was motivated by wanting to sell copies of her book. Meanwhile, the former president says that he will appeal the ruling with the E. Jean Carroll civil case, saying that he was absolutely or has absolutely no idea who she is, while blasting the verdict as a disgrace and a continuation of the greatest political witch hunt in history, end quote. A federal jury um, decided today that the former president was not liable for the more serious offense, but was liable for abuse and defamation. And again, the former president has been ordered to pay $5 million dollars. In an exclusive interview just after the jury delivered the, the uh, verdict, the president, the former president told Fox News Digital that he has absolutely no idea who she is and that the verdict uh, was not um, going to be upheld. Well, it's definitely a mark uh, against the former president as he seeks reelection. We'll see what happens. Some suggest his supporters will hang on. Others that the baggage is just getting too heavy. Only time will tell. Well, Representative Buddy Carter from Georgia discussed the Biden administration's response to the debt limit drama and the border crisis um, and uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, said on Tuesday that a deal needs to be reached by next week on the debt ceiling in order to ensure Congress has time to pass it into law. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told Congress last week that the U.S. could run out of money to pay for debts and obligations as soon as the first of June. 
Today, by the way, the 9th of May. A deal by next week would give Congress about two weeks to finalize the deal and send it to the president. I think we should uh, just get in a room and solve this thing. I don't think it's that difficult, McCarthy said, ahead of the meeting earlier today. Well, apparently raising the debt limit is no longer a question. Um, Some of the other issues surrounding that remains a question after the meeting closed with the president earlier today. It's not clear how much uh, could come out of that sit down with the former president, with the current president and the remaining House and Senate leaders. Republicans and Democrats are gridlocked over how to proceed raising the debt limit. Although it's all agreed that raising it, they must do. The GOP majority House passed a bill last week aimed at lifting the debt limit uh, while capping next year's spending at fiscal 2022 levels. The president spoke and McCarthy spoke and the uh, negotiations will continue. Well, the position of the White House on the debt limit may be shifting from President Joe Biden doesn't want to compromise to President Joe Biden doesn't have to compromise under the U.S. Constitution. This is also on the table, although it's probably less likely after today's meeting. Uh, The fringe idea that Section 4 of the 14th Amendment empowers the president to keep borrowing and spending as usual, even if the debt limit isn't extended, is getting a respectful hearing. Back in January, the U.S. reached the current debt limit of $31.4 trillion, which, surprise, surprise, wasn't nearly enough. The Treasury Department has been using extraordinary measures, in quotes, to this point to avoid hitting the wall, but will exhaust its running room around the beginning of June. The looming deadline has um, concentrated the minds of the White House and its allies, not on how to cut a deal, but how to find a fig leaf of legitimacy for the uh, president to engage in the most flagrant abuse of his authority to date. He'd simply ignore the debt limit as a supposedly unconstitutional infringement on his obligation to honor our debts. Is the debt limit constitutional? Read a New York Times headline just last week. Biden aides are debating it. A sign of the shifting ground is that the left-wing legal scholar Lawrence Tribe, he wrote an op-ed in the Times during the last uh, big debt limit showdown in 2011, saying that the 14th Amendment couldn't be used to ignore the debt limit, a ceiling we we can't wish away, and now has written another op-ed in the Times, and he's changed his mind. Well, desperate times call for desperate, motivated reasoning. Well, in an interview on this week with George Stephanopoulos, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she repeatedly refused to say the 14th Amendment is off the table. At the same time, she said invoking it would cause a constitutional crisis. So you do the math. She's right about that, at least. Uh, It's a dead giveaway that the 14th Amendment option is a ridiculous contrivance that pretty much everyone in authority dismissed the idea until now. Although the 14th Amendment as escape hatch was bandied about during the debt limit confrontation in 2011, the Obama administration ultimately dismissed it. He was the vice president at the time, lest you've forgotten. Like every previous secretary of the Treasury who has confronted the question, the Treasury Department general counsel wrote of his boss, Timothy Geithner, at the time, Secretary Geithner has always viewed the debt limit as a binding legal constraint that can only be raised by Congress, end quote. Well, indeed, the debt limit is not some innovation dreamed up by the House Freedom Caucus. It was um, first passed in 1917 as part of the Second Liberty Bond Act. This was hardly a congressional power grab. Before the advent of the debt limit, as Georgetown law professor Anita Christian Coomer points out, Congress authorized each bond issue generally to fight wars and bolster the economy during recessions. The debt limit is the logical extension of Congress's power to tax and spend. 
Well, the Biden administration could save itself trouble by trying to twist the Constitution to suit the narrow political purpose uh, that is uh, in front of it at this moment if it simply sat down with Congress and negotiated in good faith. We presume that was the case earlier today when the president met not only with McCarthy, but with other uh, leaders from Congress. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to continue to wind our way through some of the headline news. And then later in the next hour, Diane Schnickels. She's the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. We'll talk about Bible study when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Want to make an announcement? The KPDQ Pastors Masters Golf Tournament is back for 2023. Yay. It's now scheduled for July 17th. Well, KPDQ invites area pastors and ministry leaders to join us for a day of golf and fellowship at the KPDQ Pastors Masters Golf Tournament. Monday, July 17th at the beautiful Langdon Farms Golf Club in Aurora, just south of Wilsonville. The 18-hole golf scramble starts at 8 a.m. and is followed by a delicious buffet lunch. The cost to attend is just $25. And the first 50 pastors to uh, register, I should say, will also receive a Pastors Masters ball cap. Well, space is limited, so please register today at kpdq.com. We would absolutely love to welcome you to the uh, new and improved Pastors Masters. I'm not sure about the improved. It's new for now, but you get the idea. Well, the announcement today was the FBI has sabotaged a suite of malicious software used by elite Russian spies. No, it's not a movie. This apparently actually happened. This is what U.S. authorities said today, providing a glimpse of the digital tug of war between two cyber superpowers. Well, senior law enforcement officials said FBI technical experts had identified and disabled malware wielded by Russia FSB security service against an undisclosed number of American computers, a move they hoped would deal a death blow to one of Russia's leading cyber spying programs. We assess this as being their premier espionage tool. That's a quote from one of the U.S. officials speaking to journalists ahead of the release. He said Washington hoped the operation would eradicate it from the virtual battlefield. Again, in quotes. Well, the officials said the FSB spies behind the malware, known as Snake, are part of a notorious hacking group tracked by the uh, private sector and known as Turla. Well, the group has been active for two decades against a variety of NATO-aligned targets. U.S. government agencies and technology companies, a senior FBI official said. U.S. officials spoke to journalists today ahead of the news release on the condition that they not be named. Similar announcements revealing the FSB cyber disruption effort were made by security agencies in the U.K., Canada, Australia and New Zealand. Turla is widely considered one of the most sophisticated hacking teams studied by the security research community. They've persisted in the shadows by focusing on stealth and operational security. The vice president of threat analysis at U.S. cybersecurity company Mandiant, uh, they are one of the hardest targets we have. Well, the U.S. government dubbed the disruption of Turla's snake malware Operation Medusa. The FBI and its partners identified were... Um, the hacking tool that's been deployed across the Internet and built a unique software payload to disrupt the hackers infrastructure. Well, the FBI relied on existing search warrant authorities to remotely access the Russian malicious program within victim networks in the U.S. and sever its connections. 
The senior FBI official said the Bureau's tools were designed only to communicate with the Russian spy program. It speaks snake, if you will, and communicates with snakes custom protocols without accessing the victim's personal files, the official said. So this is good news, although it's a little terrifying at the same time. Meanwhile, the National Institutes of Health, speaking of terrifying, renewed a grant to EcoHealth Alliance for research on the risk of bat coronavirus spillover emergence. That's in quotes. Despite multiple agencies of the U.S. government embracing the lab leak theory of COVID's origin. Zoonotic coronavirus or COVOs. Um, represent a significant threat to global health, as demonstrated by the emergence of SARS-CoV, MERS-CoV, and SARS-CoV-2, a press release said. Bats were identified as the wildlife reservoir of SARS-CoV by EcoHealth Alliance, and since then we have published hundreds of novel SARS-related COVID uh, sequences from wildlife in China and across Southeast Asia. Well, EcoHealth Alliance is a U.S. nonprofit that used National Institutes of Health funds to conduct dangerous coronavirus research in partnership with China's Wuhan Institute of Virology before the COVID-19 pandemic. The National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases of the NIH in 2019 gave a grant to the organization, but paused it in April of 2020 after the outbreak of COVID over concerns about ongoing collaborative lab research uh, with the WIV. The Wuhan lab, uh, the sub um, the subword through um, EcoHealth Alliance was then permanently suspended in August of 2022 for compliance failures regarding reporting requirements. Well, to address some objections on the groundwork under the auspices of this new grant will not be conducted in China. The press release said while the study pertains to southern China. The renewed work will involve collaboration only between EcoHealth Alliance and the Duke National University of Singapore Medical School. All um, recombinant virus uh, culture or infection experiments will also be removed from the research process. The press release assured that the research would not be gain of function, which is to take a, a SARS version and try to make it worse so that they can come up with a solution to what they've just created. So this won't be, they say, a gain of function, which involves extracting viruses from animals and engineering them in a lab to make them more transmittable or dangerous to humans. I'm not sure I feel better, but again, I'm quoting. In February, National Security Council Communications Coordinator John Kirby said the Biden administration supports gain-of-function research, despite the potential risks as long as uh, that it is pursued in a safe and transparent manner. Well, of course, that's the goal, but there's always that possibility that it will leak out. The president believes that the research is important to help prevent future pandemics that don't yet exist, but we may create on our own, which means he understands that there has been has to be legitimate scientific research into the potential sources of pandemics so that we understand them and so that we can prevent them from happening. We create them so that we can prevent them. In an updated assessment released in February, the Energy Department concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely originated from a laboratory accident. Uh, Although it made that judgment with low confidence, the Wall Street Journal reported also in February, FBI Director Christopher Wray says that uh, COVID likely escaped from a laboratory in China, issuing the first public opinion of the sort from the agency on the origins of the virus. So what could possibly go wrong? And according to the NIH, absolutely nothing.
again, I'm not really sure I feel better about it. Well, everyone has a mother. This is not controversial. Every second Sunday in May is marked out to specifically honor those women who, with all their being, have invested in our existence. To paraphrase Michael Knowles, Recent sentiments on his podcast, being a mother is the most beautiful, exalting thing that any woman can do on this earth. Mm. But apparently, this lovely spring tradition that honors moms is being canceled. Stores like Hallmark, K Jewelers, DoorDash, Nespresso, Levi's, Ancestry.com, Mac Cosmetics, and now bankrupt Bye Bye Baby, all... Uh, sent out emails and messages to their customers, uh, customer base along the lines of Mother's Day can be a difficult and sensitive time of year for some people. Would you like to opt out of related content? Opting out of Mother's Day. You know, there's virtually uh, a painful side of everything that happens on the earth. So should we not celebrate Mother's Day? Well, Mother's Day is now triggering and offensive It's oppressive to some people. Frankly, this is somewhat understandable. Women who are struggling with infertility or children who have fraught relationships with their mothers or families mourning mothers who have passed away might find this day saddening and hard. But uh, our own personal tragedies are not valid grounds for attempting to diminish and erase uh, erase what mothers are and continue to be. That is, they are the life givers, homemakers, nurturers of the next generation. What they are and what they represent are universal and opting out is not an appropriate response. And yet that's the culture we live in, opting out of celebrating motherhood, whether or not we happen to be one or our experience wasn't ideal. We should celebrate motherhood. We all had one. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Diane Schnickels, founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. We'll talk about Bible study. That's coming up in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Biden administration is launching a targeted enforcement operation in El Paso, Texas, on Tuesday to process and potentially deport and expel migrants in one of the hot spots for migrant crossings as numbers have surged along the border ahead of the end of Title 42 later this week, Thursday, to be more precise. Agents and officers from Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement will conduct the operation in El Paso, where about 2,200 Uh, Migrants are currently camped or living on the streets a few blocks from major ports of entry uh, that connect El Paso with the Mexican city of Juarez. The Justice Department is reportedly nearing a decision to charge Hunter Biden on federal tax and gun-related charges. The first son has been under federal investigation since 2018 for two misdemeanor tax filing charges, a felony tax evasion charge, and a false statement charge over a gun purchase. President Biden was asked how the potential looming charges would impact his presidency in an interview last Friday with MSNBC host Stephanie Rule. The Hunter Biden investigation has been ongoing for nearly five years, but no indictments have been made. An IRS whistleblower came forward in April, alleging the investigation is being mishandled by the administration. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office uh, revealed the federal government under President Biden has run a near one trillion dollar federal deficit by uh, in the first seven months of fiscal year 23. 
The CBO's report dropped on Monday, giving lawmakers insight into the current state of the federal deficit. The nonpartisan agency found in the first seven months of fiscal year 23 alone, the federal government has racked up $928 billion. The federal budget a deficit is $928 billion in the first seven months of the fiscal year. The Congressional Budget Office said $568 billion more than the shortfall recorded during the same period last year. Revenues were 10% lower and outlays were 8% higher from October through April than they were during the same period in fiscal year 22, the agency continued. CBO wrote that shifts in the timing of certain payments affect that comparison. The high spending numbers come as the president enters into his 2024 re-election campaign. The economy will likely be a major factor in the presidential race, and Biden will likely face uh, have to face questions on high inflation and other economic issues facing his presidency. A new ABC News Washington Post survey found that 54 percent of American adults believe uh, Trump did a better job handling the economy during his administration, compared to 36 percent who said Biden is handling the economy better. Last month, the president received a bottomless Pinocchio rating from The Washington Post for repeatedly touting misleading claims on the deficit. The Border Patrol Union criticized the Department of Homeland Security on Monday night for announcing a targeted enforcement operation in Texas to remove or detain illegal immigrants, accusing the feds of tipping off migrants hours before the operation is supposed to take place. Agents from Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement Officers are set to carry out the initiative, where approximately 2,200 migrants are currently camped a few blocks from the major ports. Nothing like publicly announcing that dangerous people will be arrested while warning them ahead of time exactly where to run and hide to avoid arrest. The Border Patrol Union tweeted late Monday evening. The National Border Patrol Council, which represents approximately 18,000 Border Patrol agents and support personnel, went on to say the entire operation was a sad joke and another pandering PR stunt. As the world of artificial intelligence continues to evolve, a New Jersey biotech company is taking AI capabilities to the next level. After decades of working with AI-driven phenotype uh, platforms in an attempt to develop drugs for mental illness, Psychogenics uh, has had a breakthrough with one compound that aims to treat schizophrenia. Psychogenics president and CEO Emmer Leahy said in a recent interview explaining that she and her team are closer than ever to developing what she said is the first ever AI discovered drug. Outkick uh, founder Clay Travis conducted an experiment over the weekend where he offered various cans of free beer at a concert. Now, I'm not pushing beer. This is just a culture war issue, concluding that drinking Bud Light is now taboo in public. Travis posted several videos um, of his cooler throughout the night as a weekend experiment at a concert in the Nashville area. The experiment allowed those who passed to pick which beer they wanted. No one would take the Bud Light all night long. Big issues uh, uh, big issue going forward for Bud Light is uh, uh, many don't even want to be seen with the product. Wallet Hub's 2023 Best and Worst States to be a Police Officer is out and suggests that states known for initiatives to defund the police are the best states to be a police officer. I'm not sure I can do the math on that one. Including Washington, D.C., the top 10 states in ascending order are California, D.C., Connecticut, Maryland, Illinois, Ohio, Colorado, Washington State, New York, and Massachusetts. The bottom 10 states in descending order are 
Oregon, South Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Nevada, Kentucky, West Virginia, Alaska, and Arkansas. Texas came in at 13, Pennsylvania at 14, Michigan at 17, and Florida at 24. Well, the study selected three categories when making its rankings, opportunity and competition, training requirements, and job hazards and protection. The uh, states listed as best to be an officer um, have been hotbeds of defund the police efforts from progressive politicians and activists in recent years. Los Angeles slashed $150 million from the budget and San Francisco stated um, police would no longer support to uh, provide support non-emergency calls. San Francisco eventually reversed that decision to combat a crime wave, and the Los Angeles Police Protective League said Mayor Eric um, Garcetti's decision was the quickest way to make our neighborhoods more dangerous. California was ranked as the best state for law enforcement. Again, I'm not sure I get it. A factor not discussed in the study is the effect defund the police has had on morale and police department's ability to hire and retain officers. According to a study conducted by the Police Executive Research Forum, states that Wallet Hub, Wallet Hub a place high on their list, have had a disproportionately hard time retaining police. So you can make of that what you will. President Biden announced he will veto a GOP immigration policy. The White House announced that uh, the president will veto the border security bill it is, uh, if it passes through the Congress. The bill sponsored by Representatives Mar- uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, Republican from Florida, and Tom McClintock, a Republican from California, will require renewed efforts to build a border wall, more border patrol agents, and more financial incentives for them to do their job. An end to catch and release policies and other initiatives intended to better manage mass migration at the southern border. But the president's promise to veto comes as the so-called Title 42 policies are set to expire on Thursday. They allow border officials to more easily keep immigrants out of the country as a way to prevent the spread of COVID. The president will send 1,500 troops to the border to counter an anticipated influx of migrants. After months of negotiations, the House is poised to vote on H.R. 2 on Thursday, the same day Title 42, the pandemic-era federal public health authority, will expire. H.R. 2 will reintroduce components of former President Trump's so-called Remain in Mexico policy, restart border wall construction, redirect funds from migrant charities, improve border surveillance, and airmark more money for border personnel. Well, schools are moving to a four-day week accompanied by lower test scores. Four-day week, less instruction time, lower test scores. Okay. I'm no scholar, but that doesn't seem to make sense. A a research group at Oregon State University, that might explain it, it wasn't Oregon. Anyway, Oregon State University is tracking the trend, which started in remote schools that had trouble recruiting teachers because the ideas seemed to have caught on, especially with teachers and administrators, unsurprisingly. Not parents and students, maybe students, but the group noticed that Uh, With teachers and administrators, what was once a method used to deal with a crisis has gained momentum because, well, it's nice for the people who run the schools. Students apparently like it, too. Naturally, they wondered, is this actually good for the people for whom the schools are run and not just the ones running the schools? It's an open question. 
Less classroom time correlates directly with progressively lower test scores and academic achievement. Studies of the four-day school week have found nationally 850 school districts representing thousands of individual schools have dropped the fifth day of instruction up from 650 districts in 2019. School days are longer on the four days to compensate for some of the lost hours. Some schools offer daycare or activities on the remaining weekday that school is closed, for which parents usually have to pay. Hmm. Lori Lightfoot, who is outgoing on her exit, says there's no question that there are some people in Chicago and across the country that don't want mayors like me to succeed. Well, to succeed at what? I think everyone starts out wanting the individual to succeed at providing a safe environment for handling fiscal responsibility responsibly. But if you are succeeding at failing to provide those two and other responsibilities, then, yeah, maybe people aren't uh, in favor of your succeeding. Well, at the start of her final week as mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot will deliver a farewell speech to the city she served for the last four years. She also made another kind of history as she became the first incumbent candidate in city history not to advance to an April runoff to determine the city's leader during the city's election earlier this year. She's also the first elected incumbent to lose a re-election bid in the city since Jane Bryan was defeated by Harold Washington in the 1983 race. Well, despite the loss, Lightfoot said she will leave with her head held high and a heart full of gratitude. Well, that's a good way to go. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour, a conversation with Diane Schnickels, founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. We're going to talk about Bible study. And Paul Harvey gave a an address in 1964 that's still relevant today. It's titled, If I Were the Devil... And just a disclaimer, I am not. But anyway, we'll share that later in the program as well. We're winding our way through some of the uh, the day's headlines. By the way, you still have a couple of days if you would like to enter to win the $2,000 giveaway for your mom. It's the, the annual Mother's Day $2,000 giveaway at kpdq.com. Uh, and again, make this year's Mother's Day extra special. Go to kpdq.com for all the important details. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre emphatically claims the president is not disconnected from the people, while just 16 percent of the people are better off. Voters are broadly dissatisfied with the job performance and are opposing uh, the re-election of the president. Now, that's not an actual election. That's where they stand at this moment. Things can change, but they don't like their top Republican alternatives either, reflecting a deep disconnect between what Americans want and the options available to them. In hypothetical general election matchups, Mr. Biden, who announced his reelection campaign last month, trailed the two leading candidates in the Republican primary, former President Donald J. Trump, and that was before today's announcement, and Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Russia has launched the largest drone strike against Ukraine cities. They launched the biggest swarm of drones for months against Ukraine on Monday, the eve of Russia's May 9th holiday celebrating the defeat of Nazi Germany in 1945, striking the capital of Kiev and the Black Sea city of Odessa and shelling other cities. Kiev's mayor said Russia had fired 60 Iranian-made kamikaze drones at Ukrainian targets, including 36 at his uh, city, all of which were shot down. Debris uh, his uh, uh, hit apartments and other buildings, injuring at least five. The Department of Transportation is looking to punish airlines for flight cancellations. 
Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced Monday that the agency introduced rules requiring airlines to reimburse customers who incur expenses due to certain delayed and canceled flights, a move which comes as the industry faces elevated demand and a constrained labor force. The proposed rules, which would apply when an airline delays a flight for more than three hours or cancels a flight for a controllable reason would mandate that the firms offer compensation for stranded passengers as well as a meal or meal voucher, overnight accommodations, ground transportation between the airline and hotel. That will translate into higher prices. Tyson Foods, Inc. is sharing a shares rather plunged 16 percent to a three year low on Monday as the U.S. meatpacker posted a surprise second quarter loss and cut its full year revenue forecast aimed um, Amid rather slower consumer demand, the weaker-than-expected results indicate cash-strapped shoppers are cutting back on meat spending in a high-inflation environment, while a shrinking cattle herd forces uh, Tyson to pay more for livestock, eroding margins. Well, the Biden administration is now out to get your dishwasher. They've targeted just about every common household appliance at this point, The Department of Energy proposed new appliance rules that would cut water and energy use limits for Americans' dishwashers well below current levels. The proposal would limit dishwashers uh, to using 3.2 gallons of water per cycle, far below the current federal limit of 5 gallons. The rules would also require manufacturers to reduce their products' energy consumption by nearly 30 percent. Most dishwashers on the market are already well below the federal standard of five gallons, with most using 3.5 gallons per cycle or less. Dishwashers are not the only appliances the Department of Energy under Biden has set its sights on. However, as the regulator is also considering cracking down on washers, dryers and refrigerators, the manufacturers say could reduce performance. It's a proposal like uh, this, EVs for the military that make one wonder if the president has fully lost his understanding of how the military and wars are conducted. Well, the president wants all U.S. military vehicles to be electric by 2030. He first proposed the idea on Earth Day last year, stating, uh, we're we're going to start the process where every vehicle in the United States military, every vehicle is going to be climate-friendly, every vehicle. And I'm quoting, during a recent Senate Armed Services Committee hearing, Senator uh, Joni Ernst uh, asked Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm if she supported making military vehicles electric by 2030. I do, Granholm answered. And I think we can get there. Get there on what? Wishes and dreams? Have any of these people stopped even for a second to consider how um, well problematic this uh, goal is? This is the 21st century we're living in, not the 23rd. And last we checked, Star Trek is still science fiction. You're in the middle of a battle. Where do you plug in? Just a thought. Since Fox News suddenly sacked Tucker Carlson almost two weeks ago, the popular conservative host has only spoken publicly once via a two-minute clip posted on Twitter. In the immediate aftermath of the shocking dismissal, speculation ran rampant that Carlson would soon be back on the air elsewhere, either with another conservative news media company or his own enterprise. However, there's been little movement despite several sizable offers being thrown at Carlson. Uh, The answer appears to lie in the fact that uh, Carlson, while he's effectively been fired by Fox, he has not been released from his contract, which runs until January of 2025, notably after the next presidential election. Carlson has hired a legal team to get him released from that contract, freeing him to build his own media company. 
Facebook is threatening to stop news sharing in Canada. Nick Clegg, a spokesperson for tech giant Meta, warned on Monday that proposed legislation in Canada would put the company in an invidious position. He explained, in order to comply, we have to either operate in a flawed or unfair regulatory environment, or we have to end the availability of news content in Canada. With a heavy heart, we choose the latter. The law in question is C-18. It would require tech companies to pay news organizations for any content published on their platforms. Clegg argues that the bill would subsidize big broadcasters at the expense of independent publishers and digital news sites. U.S. lawmakers are currently crafting similar legislation dubbed the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. The White House banned the New York Post from a Biden event as a Hunter indictment looms. Governor Abbott deployed a special National Guard force to the southern border ahead of the expected migrant surge. Border Patrol agents seized enough fentanyl in a single weekend to kill the entire population of Chicago. The U.S. Air Force abandoned an experiment aimed at boosting pilot training graduation rates for women and minority pilots after the 2021 initiative failed to achieve the intended results and um, officers privately warned it could violate anti-discrimination policies, according to documents obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. The National Police Association sued to make the Nashville school shooters manifesto public and NIH has renewed funds for bat coronavirus research. The average price of a new car has hit 48 K. Many schools are going to a four day week and Oklahoma revoked funding for PBS over LGBTQ content for kids. Well, on this day in history, 1712, the Carolina colony is officially divided into two entities, North Carolina and South Carolina. 1914, President Woodrow Wilson, acting on a joint congressional resolution, signs a proclamation designating the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Maybe I should whisper that lest I trigger someone. 1945, with World War II in Europe at an end, Soviet forces liberate Czechoslovakia from Nazi occupation. 1961, in a speech to the National Association of Broadcasters, Federal Communications Commission Chairman Newton N. Minow decries the majority of television programming as a vast wasteland. He might have been a prophet. I don't know. 1962, scientists at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, succeed in reflecting a laser beam off the surface of the moon. 1970, President Richard Nixon makes a surprise and impromptu pre-dawn visit to the Lincoln Memorial, where he chats with a group of protesters who are resting on the memorial steps after protests against the Vietnam War and the Kent State shooting. 2017, President Trump fires FBI Director James Comey in the midst of an FBI investigation into whether Trump's campaign had ties to Russia's meddling in the 2016 presidential election. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo arrives in North Korea to finalize plans for a summit between President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, news and traffic at the top of the hour. And when we return, Diane Schnickels on Bible study. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Did you know that domestic abuse is a pattern of behavior that's used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner? It includes any behavior that intimidates, manipulates, humiliates, frightens, isolates, terrorizes, uh, coerces, threatens, blames, injures, or wounds someone. And domestic abuse is not always physical. It can be verbal, emotional, financial, spiritual, psychological, and sexual. 
One in four women, including women of faith, and one in nine men in the U.S. experience domestic abuse in their lifetime. And it can happen to anyone, regardless of age or education, religion, work, position, economic levels, ethnicity, gender, or disability. Well, domestic abuse awareness is important, but addressing the fallout from domestic abuse is equally important. Joining us to talk about just that is Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and the author of the Oasis Bible Study. She is a certified counselor, a certified domestic abuse advocate, and a student of God's Word, for which I am grateful. As an author of the Oasis Bible Study, her heart for restoring hope and dignity to our wounded sisters is evident. Training those within the faith community for the past nine years reveals the educational foundation of Living Waters of Hope. Well, previously, she's been involved with her uh, husband of 40 years in the areas of Christian conference center ministry as well as a pastor's wife um, she is a graduate of uh, ray rather is a graduate of dallas theological seminary and i'm so delighted to welcome diane schnickels to join us here today to talk about living waters of hope and the oasis bible study welcome thank you georgina it's an honor to be with you today this is such a difficult subject and if it's addressed at all, it's it typically is addressed in hushed tones because we're uncomfortable at the concept, particularly within the church, that this could be an issue impacting women we know, women who attend our Bible study, people that we hang out with. This is a very difficult subject. Let's begin by just talking about domestic abuse and whether and how it occurs within the church. Well, it's just like any other marriage. Um, I mean, I have gals, they've met their husbands in Bible studies or, you know, Christian dating sites or, you know, they fall in love. These men profess to be Christians. They talk about the Lord. But in time, um, that behavior changes and he's not quite the person she thought she married. And the control is controlling behaviors begin to sink in, which makes it very hard for a Christian woman who wants her marriage to work, she's, she's, you know, made that covenant before the Lord and she just stays and stays and stays trying and trying and trying to make things work, trying to honor the Lord, trying to honor her husband. And it's really, really a tough road. It is a tough road and it's difficult to talk about it openly. If you are the victim oh. of domestic abuse in Christian circles, it's difficult to, to talk about. And oftentimes We don't know how to respond when someone says, this is what I'm experiencing. Uh, We're not sure what the scriptures teach on the subject and how we should encourage that woman to remain in the marriage, to get help. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it can be very uh, challenging. Let's begin with how do we respond when we learn that domestic abuse is a factor in the life of a woman with whom we fellowship? Right. You know, just to be understanding and compassionate. Um, a lot of women end up getting re-victimized by their churches, which is really heartbreaking um, out of that lack of education. So education is always a wonderful thing to do. And we've got tons of resources on our website as well as training videos. Just Walking with Women in Crisis is one of our four-part video series that anyone can um, listen to and learn from. But, you know, just saying, hey, I'm, I'm just so sorry. I'm, I'm concerned about your safety. You don't want to tell her what to do mm-hmm. because she's been told what to do in her marriage. So 
so you just walk with her. It's just being a friend. Um, I'm concerned about you. If you ever need to talk to someone, no. If you ever need a safe place for a night, you know, you're welcome to come over. Um, just non-judgmental. The things you don't say are, well, stay, pray, and submit. Because she could really be in a very harmful situation. I mean, I have gals who sleep in a, in a separate bedroom with their door locked at night. And, the, and these are Christian women with Christian husbands. Um, you don't want to say, just forgive him, like that's some kind of magic wand to restore a relationship because it isn't. So there are things that, and I have said those things years ago before I learned all this stuff. It's like, oh my goodness, I said those things. And you end up doing more harm. And women sometimes will stay longer because they're being told by someone they trust to do that. It's very confusing for them um, because they're looking for their scriptural answers as well. But just a kind, compassionate understanding and just learn, um, learn enough. Gal says, I have a good friend I can talk to, but you know, I can only say so much because she really doesn't understand about domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Living Waters of Hope. You are the founder and executive director. Tell us about Living Waters, and then we'll talk a bit about the Oasis Bible Study. Mm-hmm. Well, Georgine, we're here to really restore hope and dignity to these women. We we are faith-based, but we help women, uh, you know, whether they're believers or not. We're just here to help our wounded sisters. And we are here to walk alongside of the faith community to do the same through training. So we have, you know, weekly educational newsletters. We have lots of ways that people can connect in to just learn um, how to do the same with the women. And our uh, Oasis Bible Study is a support basis. It's a faith-based, of course, educational, emotional, spiritual support for women. We never tell them to leave their husbands. We never tell them to get a divorce. And we always say that's between you and the Lord because those are really big decisions. Mm-hmm. We just walk with them and support them where they are in their journey. And to be able to come together in our online Oasis Bible studies, oh my goodness, it means so much to these gals. I mean, they'll just even cry. They'll, they'll often cry the first couple of meetings, those who are early on in their journey, just to find a safe place where they can speak and be understood. Um being in the community is just a big thing. Otherwise, you're trying to do this alone. And the support um, through the Oasis Bible Study gives them an intentional path to take for their journey. We have 21 lessons. We meet through the whole school year, um, every week for an hour and a half. And um, we have gals from all over the country. As a matter of fact, we have some from the UK for the first time joining us in this uh, current class. So we have four classes. We have two classes that have openings right now. If anyone is looking for some of that kind of support, um, I've had a gal who said, Diane, I've been divorced for 10 years and I began to write my story and I, all those nightmares came back again. I realized I never took the time to get healing. So she began coming. So it's, And we have gals who are still with their husbands. Not a whole lot, but some, because it's kind of unsafe to try to be in the class while you're with your husband. We have a couple who can do that. Most of our gals are in the separation mode where they have chosen to leave and are trying to get their healing while they wait and pray for their husband to do the same. Let me ask for a woman, um, how, how do you define or how should she define I am in an abusive relationship and mm-hmm. need help. And it may seem like a, an obvious question, but I think it's important for mm-hmm. someone who's listening who may not see what she's experiencing as abuse, 
but should. Mm-hmm. How do I begin to determine, yes, that that describes my situation? Mm. That's a really good question because a lot of gals don't even realize it's abuse. We have one gal, she was in the marriage, marriage for 40 years before realizing it was really abusive. Because where do we learn these things? But you began the show with the definition of a pattern of behavior. And that's what you look for, the patterns of those controlling behaviors. Am I walking on eggshells all the time? You know, am I afraid sometimes of my husband? Can I share my opinion openly and have him receive that? Or do I have to keep silent because I don't want him to get angry at me? Is he always criticizing me for things? Um, Am I able to resolve conflict? Or is he always blaming me for everything that's wrong in the marriage? Those are some things a woman can ask herself. Now, as I mentioned, oh, please go ahead, go ahead, please. I was going to say, you know, there's uh, what's called a power and control wheel. And we have it on our website, or you can just look it up. But sometimes I'll have gals, and I say to sisters that we uh, train, we, they always get that power and control wheel. I said, have her look on that power and control wheel, which has all the different kind of behaviors that can happen in different genres, whether it's financial, sexual, verbal, emotional, just different ways abuse happens. And I would say to her, circle the ones that you have experienced. Because sometimes unless I see it in black and white, they just can't put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helping them to think through how to define and describe what they're experiencing is a is the beginning. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Diane Schnickels. She is the, uh, the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and the author of the Oasis Bible Study, Reaching Women in Various Parts of the, the World. They have a new Bible study that's opening up soon. We'll tell you more about that. You can also check them out at livingwatersofhope.org, livingwatersofhope.org. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgia Gene Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and Oasis Bible Study. We're talking about abuse, that um, domestic abuse that many women endure even in the church. Now, I mentioned in the introduction in our last segment that domestic abuse isn't always physical, and sometimes we imagine that that's required in order for it to qualify for Mm -hmm. the kind of attention that physical abuse um, produces. Can you talk a little bit about abuse that isn't necessarily physical but still falls under the uh, the heading of unacceptable abuse? Mm -hmm. Sure, Georgine. The biggest one is verbal where women are demeaned and they're spoken to um, with very shaming and blaming comments. You know, after a while, you begin to believe those things when you're told that day after day. Um, so emotional abuse, things that, that um, kind of cause them to doubt themselves and cause confusion. There's something called a cycle of abuse where this pattern of controlling behavior happens in a cyclical manner. So there could be times where it's it's good, and then suddenly they're walking on eggshells, and then that explosive event happens, or there's a silent treatment. That alone causes a lot of confusion for women. And in time, over the over years, they're just always walking on eggshells and always waiting for that explosion, explosive event. So that does something to your mind. You know, you're just always hyper vigilant, financial. There are gals that are, many gals are just kind of limited with what, with what they can spend. 
um, I haven't had a gal even told she had to return a, um, some paper towels back to Costco because her husband thought it was going to cost too much, even though, of course, we know it saves in the long run. But yet she told me after that, he went and bought some type of exercise device that was very costly. So that's that's not uncommon where a woman is limited, but a man takes the liberty to spend what he wants. He might change the um, password on the bank account and not tell her. Um, or maybe if she's a primary breadwinner, he's wanting to spend her money. Those kinds of things. Um, spiritual, where if she is sharing her concern about maybe disagreeing with him or he'll say, well, you know, you, women are supposed to submit. Or if she's talking about leaving, well, God hates divorce. Um, just those types of spiritual things where they twist the truth to use it against the wife. And of course, the wife who wants to do right by God and doesn't know exactly what scripture really is intended to say can stay in that relationship. Um, of course, there's sexual. Um, it, not every woman faces that, but many do, which is very difficult. And probably the deepest wound of, of betrayal that, that a wife really feels, especially a Christian wife. And digital. I mean, I've got a gal, her husband texts her 30 times a day. So there are many other types. And even women have to understand it doesn't have to be physical. I've had gals say, well, but he's not hitting me. And I said, wait, wait, <laughs> wait a second. Any kind of abuse is wrong, and there's no excuse for any of it. Now, for those who joined us in this segment, I think it's important to repeat that Oasis Bible Study does not advise women to divorce. Your your goal isn't to offer, you know, this is what you have to do. Uh, but you do mm-hmm. draw their attention to what the scriptures have to say. Um, and again, I, I just think it's important for us to recognize the the depth and, and width of abuse that you're talking about that women endure that is unacceptable. Let's talk about the, the Bible study and the approach that you take for women who are victims of domestic abuse, as we have uh, described it, both physical and emotional, spiritual, and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, our goal is to lift a woman up to find her worth and value in Christ. That message is through our whole 21 lessons. Our first lesson is on restoring hope because a lot of them come in feeling very hopeless, trapped. How how is my life ever going to get better? Um, And then we share truth about domestic abuse because a lot of them don't know what it is. They're not sure uh, to what degree they're being abused. And so we talk, it's very educationally based, Um, what it is, how you got there, how he got there what to do with your anger, like what's righteous anger, like it's okay to be angry if if there's really wrong done, Um, why it's so hard to leave if someone really feels that they want to, but all the many layers that they have to work through, understanding what that looks like, Um, recognizing uh, the lies they're told and trying to um, replace that with God's truth, Uh, what to do with the shame because it's very a very shaming thing that husbands do to their wives. We talk about healthy boundaries. We have three whole lessons on spiritual abuse where we talk about submission and sexual intimacy and divorce. We have three whole lessons on navigating a separation, what to expect for themselves, the new different tactics to expect from their husbands because the games do change, and how to help their children through that very difficult time. And then we, we wrap up with talking a couple lessons on forgiveness um, and healing and um, really who they are in crisis where we end up. 
So every lesson is infused with God's Word because that is where we find our truth, and that's where women will find their freedom. In, in Christ. Um, now, the, the Bible study is uh, comes in two halves. There's the first mm-hmm. Bible study, the first book, and there's the second uh, book as mm-hmm. well. For listeners who um, believe, you know, I, I might fit into that category, or I have a friend that I would describe as being the victim of domestic abuse, how do they connect with you and, and how do they mm-hmm. um, uh, find a Bible study that they can be a part of? Right. If they go right to our um, website, livingwatersofhope.org, as you had mentioned, right on the front, our homepage, there are you know information graphics that they can click on that will take them to our Bible studies. And most women end up choosing one depending on what fits into their schedule. You know, we serve women across the country, so we have different time zones that we're working with. Mm-hmm. And there's also a Saturday class. So they end up picking, so they may end up starting in book two, halfway through book two if that fits best into them. But women usually repeat it twice. (laughs) That's not unusual because when they come in, they're off and there's so much confusion. They can only take so much information in and our lessons are kind of (laughs) jam-packed. So often they'll do a second round just to, again, find a deeper place of strength and self-confidence before they disengage. Um, So, Yep. In our book one, we have a new facilitator, which is great. She's one of our Oasis alumni, and she'll be leading that starting next Tuesday. So it's a great place to jump in. But again, um, we have the openings in our Wednesday class at 630 for anyone that that might be a better night for them. And again, you can find information uh, regarding all of that on the website. Now, some of our listeners might imagine the only thing the scriptures have to say about domestic abuse is that the wives should submit to their husbands, um, that we should submit to one another. But mm-hmm. as you've suggested in this Oasis Bible study that covers an, a significant length of time, the Bible has a mm-hmm. lot to say about how we are to relate to one another mm-hmm. in marriage and even outside of marriage. Um, what do you say to those who say, well, you know, the scripture says that wives are to submit to their husbands and therefore just put up with it? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, when you just go to the one another verses, you don't, you don't even have to go to the verses on marriage, just all the one another verses on how we're to treat each other. You can learn a lot just from that. And then you go to Ephesians 5.25, where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In a marriage where there's a controlling husband, and sometimes it's the wife, but we'll say the husband because we work with women, um, he demands through all these tactics that she give herself up for him. So it's a very upside-down marriage model that is not at all what God has intended. So it's hard to submit to someone who's not first submitting himself to the Lord and, um, you know, in obedience to how God calls a husband to to lead his marriage and his wife as a servant leader. Now we we need to take a break here at the top of the hour. Can you stay with us for another segment after the uh, the top of the hour? I would love to. Oh, I would so appreciate that. Once again, we're talking with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope, and she's the author of the Oasis Bible Study. And I would encourage anyone listening, particularly any woman who's listening who needs help. This is not a matter of shame. This is a great opportunity for you to find a confidential and trustworthy uh, group of women, a safe place 
uh, a community to help you through these challenges. And again, that website is livingwatersofhope.org for more information. We'll resume my conversation with Diane Schnickels in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And I'm continuing my conversation with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. She's also the author of the Oasis Bible Study. There are two books, A Woman's Journey, Healing from Domestic Abuse, Book One, Restoring Hope and Dignity, and Book Two, Finding Truth and Strength. An excellent Bible study to walk women through the, the trauma of being the uh, the subject of domestic abuse. Um, I, I so appreciate your commitment to helping women uh, who are experiencing this. And, and my focus is predominantly women in the church, but it's not exclusive mm-hmm. to women in the church. Mm-hmm. And this is such a an important ministry and to draw their attention to what the scriptures have to say, uh, I'm certain is a, a tremendous um, salve to, to women who are in the midst of mm-hmm. these very mm-hmm. difficult circumstances. Yes, absolutely. And again, so often they're feeling so wounded by their churches that they just so appreciate that there's a Christian woman who understands. There was one gal, she didn't call us for a whole year because she was so afraid we would tell her to go back and stay with her uh, abusive husband. And, you know, we're just trying to be as scriptural as we can and help these gals to guide them according to what God says. Yeah, looking to his word. I have a friend who just okay. recently uh, had to separate from her husband, and she had mm-hmm. endured decades of physical abuse mm-hmm. and trauma. And mm-hmm. without going into detail, it just broke my heart to mm-hmm. to know her, to know the couple, and to realize what she had endured over such a long period of time. So I'm grateful when there's a resource to help women mm-hmm. who find themselves in that uh, that situation. Um, now, let me ask you about the, the church and becoming mm-hmm. better equipped at responding to women who um, who tell church leadership or other women in the church that I am the victim of domestic violence. How can we do a better job as the body of Christ to take that seriously mm-hmm. and help to guide women in a, the right way and toward biblical truth in the midst of this uh, this kind of trauma that does, as you mentioned earlier, often come with a, a bit of shame? Yes. Um, education is always, again, the, the best way to know how to approach and respond to a, a gal or a guy. And... Um, um, women, when they approach someone, they often go to their church leader, and uh, and we have uh, have several wonderful faith leaders who do recommend gals to come our way. I mean, there are pastors out there that do a great job, and it's interesting. I think because of COVID, there's a higher awareness because there's so much in the news, mm-hmm. and I'm finding that pastors are a little bit more. Um, open to hearing from us and, and realizing that it is happening in their church because that's the that's the biggest obstacle getting through that they believe it's happening in their church. Um, but yeah, um, just having flyers up, just having uh, posters up speaking about uh, domestic abuse from the pulpit as maybe part of an application to something that a pastor might be speaking about is always a great thing to do. I had one gal call and you know, I said, well, have you talked to your pastor? She said, I haven't. I said, well, let me ask you some questions. Does he talk about abuse in the pulpit at all? 
Are there any posters up and are there flyers for any, you know, local resources? And she said, no, on all those three fronts. And I had to say, well, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be supportive. You might want to go to the women's leader and just kind of test the waters there. Um, but just, just acknowledging that it's happening, um, you know, get on our website, learn a few things and just be, uh, you know, caring and, concerned. The trick is a lot of these men are, <laughs> they're very charming men and they're very well liked at church. So when a woman comes forward, it's really hard for someone to believe that her wife, her husband is really doing the things that she's saying. So that's the barrier. Number one, they think Charlie, well, he would never do that. Mm-hmm. And then Charlie, when he realizes she has come forward and has broken the silence, well, now he begins circulating his story, which is very different from hers, because as the gals tell me, his main concern is, is protecting his reputation. So a lot of men might even portray themselves as a victim. They might even use that word. And they often say, well, she's crazy or she's this or she's that. And they try to disparage and discredit their wives. And unfortunately, when you don't understand that dynamic, these men are very convincing and often the husbands are believed over the wives. And then what happens if, you know, if there's not a a knowledgeable faith leader to help direct the conversations and kind of find out, ask enough questions to find out what the truth really is. Um, And if she sees that he's unsupportive, the pastor and if she chooses to leave her marriage, she ends up leaving the church, which is, some gals say that's even harder than mm. being abused in my marriage because I'm leaving my most viable support system, and they truly are. Mm. One gal, local church, that happened to her, she found another local church within your listening area, and she said, oh, when I saw your Oasis Bible study flyer on the bathroom stall in the women's restroom, I knew I was in a safe church. Well, I would hope that we would all have safe churches in which the truth would prevail and uh, people would be directed toward um, a, a biblical solution to the problem. We're talking about the Oasis Bible Study. It's an online Christ-centered recovery class for women affected by domestic abuse. And if you're not sure if your circumstance f- fits into that category, let me encourage you to go to the website to learn more, livingwatersofhope.org, livingwatersofhope.org. Uh, for more information, it is a safe and confidential online community to help women walk through uh, this trauma uh, that they might be experiencing. Now, as we mentioned, you have an Oasis Bible study that's starting very soon for women who might be interested. Yes, this Tuesday at 430, uh, we are beginning book one and gals can join at any time. So if you find a friend, you know, and in a couple of weeks down the road, you can say, Get online, and if there's room, go ahead and register. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to draw some attention to your Healthy Teen Relationships, an interactive video resource for everyone working Mm -hmm. with youth, kind of a preemptive strike, if you will, not only helping uh, girls to recognize what's considered abusive, but for boys as well to help understand what boundaries and healthy boundaries might be. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's a three-part video series. There is a video series for teens, high school, and there's also one for middle school. And it comes with um, a leader guide that has the whole outline of the talk. Um, It comes with um, a student guide. We're kind of fill-in worksheet for them. Um, We're working on a parent guide, so they have leaders have something to give their parents 
so they know exactly what's being taught. And we really talk through three different main things. Our three themes are love respects. We talk about uh, what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Uh, relationship behavior, we talk about in the second session, love protects. Uh, we go through the relationship assessment model that uh, was developed by John Van Epp. He's a former pastor, um, counselor, adjunct professor, and he came up with this model that just talks about the, the proper steps to take in the logical order for a healthy relationship. And when they get out of order, that someone is really um, in more vulnerable to get into a health, uh, unhealthy relationship. When it gets out of order and like maybe touch enters before you really know someone or, you know, then that creates an emotional bond. And it's very hard when things do go wrong for the gal or the guy to recognize that there's really disrespectful behavior and they'll deny, make excuses, not hear their friends really well. And then the final one is love protects. And it just talks about, hey, your superpower is who you are in Christ. We really talk about their relationship with the Lord and knowing who they are so they can draw those healthy boundaries and know that the values are coming right out of the Bible. And there's uh, discussion questions, two discussion times within the context of the video series so that um, it's it's broken up for the kids <laughs> yeah. because, you know, their attention spans a little shorter. Well, I should mention, if people are wondering why you need this sort of a course, statistics show that teaching young people about healthy relationships and ways to avoid physical dating violence can reduce physical and sexual dating violence by 60%. And that is a growing problem among young people. So this is a very helpful series uh, for them. And you can find out more, once again, at the website, which I would encourage you to check out, because uh, there you're going to find the resources you need, whether you are the victim of domestic violence, you want to come alongside and support those who are or want to make sure that young people are being uh, properly trained. Livingwatersofhope.org. The telephone number, 503-805-8225. And this is a great resource for the uh, the Christian community and the broader community as well. Diane, I am so grateful and appreciative of the resources that you have developed and the opportunities that you've given those who are struggling and suffering in our community. And I thank you for uh, talking with us about it here today. Well, it's been my pleasure, Georgine, and an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have you back. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Again, Diane uh, um, Schnickels is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and the author of the Oasis Bible Study. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Hey, I've got a great announcement. The KPDQ Pastors Masters is back for 2023. I am so excited. Of course, the pandemic put an end to so many things, and this was on that list. Well, KPDQ invites area pastors and ministry leaders to join us for a day of golf and fellowship at the KPDQ Pastors Masters Golf Tournament. It's coming up on Monday, July 17th at the beautiful Langdon Farms Golf Club in Aurora. It's just south of Wilsonville. It's an 18-hole golf scramble. It starts at 8 a.m., I should say, and is followed by a delicious buffet lunch. The cost to attend is just $25, and if you know anything about golf, that's a great deal. And the first 50 pastors who register will also receive a Pastors Masters ball cap. Space is limited, so please register today at kpdq.com. I can hardly wait. Well, Dave Snook, who sends me lots of stuff here at KPDQ, sent this 
uh, to me. It was Paul Harvey's If I Were the Devil transcript from 1965. Now, you might think, what's relevant in 1965 to the 21st century? After all, it's 2023. But we can see it today just like he did in 1965. And I wanted to share it with you to close today's program. Again, Paul Harvey writes, If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is, well, square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild until before you know it, you'd have uh, you'd have drug sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. And in the 21st century, even worse. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter and an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way of getting rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is well, old fashioned, that swinging is way more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I would undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, If I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. And Paul Harvey would sign off, as he often did, Good day. I just finished the last session of Bible Study Fellowship today. We studied the prophets and God's people 
as they rebelled against him and wandered off into pagan practices because they wanted to be like the other nations. They had rejected the God who had promised to give them this land they dwelt in. And if they were to keep the covenant that he made with them, he promised that they would flourish and that they would be a people set up to share the good news with the rest of the world. They would be a beacon for the rest of the world. And well, they wanted to be like everybody else. If I were the devil, I would tempt them to be like the other nations, to reject what the God who brought them out of slavery, parted the sea and brought them into a land of promise, prospered them. I'd want something else. I'd want the leeks and onions in Egypt. And I'd want the idols like the other nations. I want a king like the other nations. We know the rest of that history. We studied the prophets and how they, out of obedience to God, continue to remind them to return to the God of their fathers. But they refused. And lest we think, well, that's Israel and that's the forgetful people. We are the same, forgetful, rebellious, unwilling to submit. And the outcome, well, there was the exile. And we know the rest of that history, those of us who know the scripture. And I would encourage you uh, to study the prophets. It is heart-wrenching. It's difficult but it has the 21st century all over it. It has the sin nature of man in full display and God's grace and mercy, but his holiness on full display. He made appeal after appeal to the rebellious return to me. And this is what I will do in keeping the covenant that we've made. This was a conditional covenant. If you do this, then I will do that. They rejected the God of their fathers. They are taken into exile, but it wasn't simply moving from one location to another. It describes in great detail the suffering that took place. If I were the devil, by Paul Harvey reminds us that he is at work, not just in whole nations and among leaders, but in the hearts of every one of us who resides still in the flesh. We must resist him and flee and press into God, and he has promised to give us what we need to stand firm and to honor him so that the devil has no quarter among those who believe. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank um, Justin Mansfield for producing and engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll spend part of that day on your knees in prayer, recognizing, as I do, our need for God. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.